0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Wellington on our last weekend of the year. Special uh, welcome to students and children in this service. I know we're not running kids or student men this morning. Uh, So excited to have you join us this morning as we wrap up our choices series. And you can turn to uh, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13, or page 808 in uh, your Pew uh, Bibles. Also, just want to highlight again our, Chris, our New Year's Eve service, rather tomorrow night, seven o'clock. It'll be a great uh, evening to think about the year, reflect uh, for prayer, for testimonies, and worship uh, tomorrow night here at seven o'clock. Let's pray before we jump in. Father, I want to thank you for this past year. Thank you have you worked in in many miraculous ways. Thank you have you drawn people to yourself. How you've we've been able to share in community and seeing people uh, take steps of faith and share stories of people's bodies being healed and lives being healed. And we thank you that as you take us into the new year, what you will do in this new year, where you will take us. We live with the sense of anticipation of your goodness and your grace in our lives, in our church family, and what you want to do through the body of Christ around the world. Speak to us now through your word uh, as we open up uh, the truth and the reality of the presence of Christ and the sending of Christ uh, 2,000 years ago. In your name I pray. Amen. So I was reflecting uh, on the choices that sort of my family have made this last 12, 18 months. It's been a huge time of transition uh, for all of us. And uh, so about a year and a half ago, uh, Gwen and I uh, moved here uh, to come and work at Willingdon. But in the last 12 months, all my kids have made major choices. So last uh, February, March, my oldest son started looking for a new job. End result was that he moved from Calgary to Toronto to take up a new position there. So big move for him. And then about a year ago, my youngest son got brave and made the choice to invite Taylor, his girlfriend, to marry him. So that choice, she responded positively. That was awesome. We like Taylor. I told my son, if we got to keep one of you, we're keeping her. Actually, because we really like her. <laughs> and uh, so they got married in August. And that's obviously a huge choice. And uh, last, about February, my middle son, Carter, uh, made, the, made the choice to apply to be an intern uh, here at Willingdon. And so the, ger- the church processed and, and great discernment. So Carter and Sarah are here and, and uh, he's an intern here. If you, were park- if you came to the parking lot this morning, you would have met him out front there. As he was discerning your parking capabilities for uh, this lot. And uh, he's doing a good job of that. Uh, so lots of choices. And, uh, and you know, we all have lots of choices to make every day. And it's ironic perhaps because we all like freedom of choice. We all want freedom of choice. But at the same time, we also often struggle to make choices. I mean, just go to a restaurant with a bunch of friends. Right? What would you like to order? Well, start at the other end of the table, or I'll have what he's having, or what would you suggest? What's your favorite dish, right? You ask the server. And just on that simple level, we often struggle uh, to make choices, and those are simple ones. But there are so many choices uh, that we have to make in life, and that's the reality of life. And we've entitled the series choices because it's not just the story of how jesus is born into the world it's also the story of the choices people make who are involved in the story it's it's of god's unfolding plan in history and how he involves people in that journey so you think about the beginning of that story where mary has the angel come and the angel says mary you've been chosen to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. So the Son of God, the Messiah, will be born. And Mary makes a choice and says, let it be as you have said. And then the angel goes to Joseph. When he finds out that Mary is, is pregnant and he's going to divorce. Or put Mary aside as the text says. And the angel challenges his thinking. And says, no, you need to follow through on, with this marriage. And so Joseph chooses to make that choice. And then Jesus is born. And you would think that when Mary and Joseph make these very difficult choices that have all kinds of social repercussions. All kinds of difficulties with the world and the people they're relating to. People talking about them. uh, The social stigma around the choices that they made. You would think in them being so outrageously obedient that perhaps God would reward that and now life would become easier. Like, I think often we think, well, God, if I'm being really obedient, then shouldn't you kind of make things work smoothly for me? And yet, in the biblical story, that often is not the case. Often life is still difficult, in spite of the obedience demonstrated by people. And so, now Jesus is born, and the reality is that Mary and Joseph don't just uh, have the opportunity to be sort of the normal, uptight parents of of a first-time child, Right? You'd think there's enough challenges in being first-time parents. But the reality is that Jesus is born into difficult circumstances. And we pick up that story in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now they had departed, meaning the wise men. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Mary and Joseph are trying to settle down. Joseph is woken up by a dream one night and the basic message is run for your life. Particularly the life of your son. You've been obedient but there's more. I'm asking more of you. There's more obedience required and it's for your own own benefit. And through the revelation of God he is now saying take this next step. Do not settle down. Do not get comfortable here. You need to move, and you need to move now. Now, when we read biblical revelation, I think it's sometimes it's easy for us to think, well, that's great, that happened then. But the reality is that God re- continues to reveal himself to us. Now, revelation is not a word that we use that often in our vocabulary today. But if you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, this is the definition. Revelation is the div- divine or supernatural disclosure Uh, to humans of something relating to human existence or the world let me read that again the divine or supernatural disclosure to humans god revealing himself to us so whenever we talk about god revealing we're talking about divine revelation we're talking about something that is a supernatural thing that god wants to pass on to us that he wants to speak into our hearts and in this case it's through dreams that he's telling joseph you need to run You need to run now. You need to go. The other thing I love about Revelation and how it is present throughout Scripture and throughout the lives of Christ followers around the world is that it shows us that God is present. God is active. God is engaged with us. He is not a distant God. He does not step apart from us and stay away from us. He speaks into our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit as Pastor James just read a few moments ago. We know that God reveals himself primarily to us through his word in the power of the spirit, but he also reveals himself in so many other ways. Like with Joseph, he reveals himself with dreams or with visions or with strong impressions that he gives us. He reveals himself through other people, through prayer, through worship, through sermons. He reveals himself repeatedly, continually, because he wants to communicate with us as his people. That is what is a normal Christian life. A normal Christ follower is in relationship with the God who reveals himself to us. That is who he is. And that is the relationship that he that he plans for us with him. So in this case, it had a dramatic result. Verse 14. And he being Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. By the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So it's interesting. Once the angel choirs had left. The shepherds had departed. The wise men had dropped off the gifts. And they're back on their way home now. And now I think the context. The reality of the world that Jesus was born into. Becomes alarmingly apparent. Because through the revelation of this dream. Joseph and Mary would have recognized that Jesus' life is being threatened right from his very birth. They got some great words when when they dedicated Jesus in the temple uh, later in his life, but they also understood that his life is being threatened, that there is difficulty ahead for him. Now, I think the beauty of what is going on here as well is the fact that, I think Mary and Joseph, right? The regular people. So how much were they aware of the grander story being played out here? How much did they actually understand? And when we know from scripture that repeatedly they get surprised, like when Jesus is in the temple and he stays there when he's uh, 12 years old and he's saying, well, I was just about my father's business. And Mary and Joseph are going, what are you talking about? Mary talks about the things she cherishes in her heart that she's recognizing So, when I read these texts, I think Mary and Joseph have this limited understanding. Obviously, God revealed himself, and they took great steps of obedience, and they understand the supernatural intervention of God through the birth of Christ. But they were also still ordinary people. And so, their understanding of what is happening, the scope of what is happening, has a limit to it. And I would think, when a dream comes like that, how did Joseph process the dream? How did he process the intervention? I mean, you read it, and it's, it's almost like you read it, and you go, yeah, okay, got it, good, let's go. All right, it's very matter-of-fact. I think, how would I respond to a dream like that? I'd like to think I'd be like Joseph, or like I read Joseph, that says, okay, I understand it, I'll go do it immediately. I think if I'm honest, I think I'd wake up and wonder, did that actually happen? Did I just really experience what I think I experienced, or is that indigestion from, you know, too much turkey, or, you know... What kind of processing did he go through? How would you respond? I remember the first time that God spoke into my life in a dramatic way. It wasn't a dream. It was an impression. It was a feeling. But it was so strong. It was so powerful that it changed the course of my life literally overnight. I was 18 years old. And um, long story short, uh, I was driving along. And I had this impression. I wasn't following God at the time. I knew about God. I was minding my own business. I'll put it that way. And I had this incredible impression that God wanted to speak into my life in a profound way and I needed to act immediately. And the action in that case was to uh, the next day, I quit my job, I quit university, got on a plane. And so between the revelation and uh, arrival, 48 hours later, I was in Colorado. So in that 48-hour period my whole life turned upside down. Now, when you're 18 years old and you make those decisions, it's not like our decision to move from Calgary to Vancouver, you know, in our 50s. We're not thinking about stuff because we have no stuff. We're not thinking about finances because at 18 I didn't have any. Right? There was nothing to take. Packing was real easy. It was real simple. Everything is hope and future and dreams. But that choice changed the trajectory of my life. It changed my relationships, it changed my career, it changed my priorities, and I can, I can look back and say, because of that decision, I'm standing here today. It was one of those moments. I was just completely overwhelmed by God's presence. And I believe God's revelation is always an invitation for us to choose obedience. God's revelation is always an invitation for us to choose obedience. He doesn't just reveal things to inform us. He reveals things to us because he wants to do something in our lives. He wants to transform us. Just like he did with Mary and Joseph. In this case, it was a very specific act. And in today's text, it was a specific direction. But it also shows us that there is this bigger plan that is at play happening here. Because he said, out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son is a reference to Hosea chapter 11. So what God is doing here is writing this story that's happening on multiple levels. And the reference to Egypt made by Matthew. Is a reference to the fact that actually that text is Hosea talking about the people of God. The people of Israel. Who had been called to Egypt where God had preserved the people through the work of Joseph. Because there's a famine going on. And so he protected the people by bringing them to Egypt. But then they had to be brought out of Egypt in the Exodus to bring, to bring freedom to the people. And to form the people of God. And now Matthew paints a parallel between the people being in Egypt and sending his son back to Egypt. And that prophetic word in Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 is now applied to Jesus. Even though it was written by Hosea about the people of Israel. And Matthew is saying in the leading of the spirit that I sent my son to Egypt to be protected. So I can line up the story of the people of God and the salvation of God which comes through the son of God who is the Messiah. Because God always works on multiple levels. There's three I'll introduce to you today. The micro level, the macro level, and what I'll call the meta level. Micro is what we live in every day. Today, right now, you're in the micro level. You're having an experience right now. You made decisions this morning to come here. You have plans for the day. That's the micro level. The macro level is, is the bigger picture that you often see when you look back on your life. It's me looking back to that decision at 18 and I realize in looking back on that decision which uh, led to me becoming a Christ follower, which led to a change in my education, which led to a change in priorities, which led to me working for Youth for Christ where I worked with the roommate of, of the gal who is now my wife, which led to us having three boys, two of whom are now married and telling you the story of the decisions that they made. That's the macro level. and We can look back. The meta level is the grand narrative that God is unfolding in the world. The meta level is a story that God started at creation. Worked through the fall as humanity rejected God. And from that point forward where God continued to work to draw people to himself. First of all showing he is through the people of God. The people of Israel. Showing he is through every Old Testament festival that you read about. Which always points toward Jesus. Sending his son through Mary and Joseph. Having his son live his life. Proclaim the kingdom of God go to the cross, die for the forgiveness of our sins, the removal of our shame, the conquering of fear, be raised from the dead on the third day, who now sits at the right hand of the Father and will culminate history at his return when justice will reign and there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more fear. That is the meta story that is, being, that is unfolding and the micro and the macro live inside of that because God always has a bigger story at play. God is always working In a bigger story. And while we can appreciate the bigger story. And we enjoy the hindsight. Of looking back in our lives. And seeing what God has done. The reality is we live in the micro. That's where we sit. And it's in the micro where we are called to obey. It's in the micro that God reveals himself to us. It's in the micro where decisions are difficult. Because sometimes they are murky. Sometimes they are unclear. We can't see around the corner. We can only see what's in front of us. It's in the micro where choices come with fear and concern and with worry. All those things happen in the micro. It's in the micro whereas we age, I think our human desire to control, to be rational, to be wise, overtakes our youthful desire to take risks. We take med- way fewer risks as we get older because we fear loss. We fear the unknown. We don't like to lose control. We worry about what will happen if we make a decision, a significant decision. So often we stop and we often stop trusting because we're being so rational. Pastor Kerry Newhoff in one of his blogs uh, wrote this question. He said, is your human wisdom killing your trust in God? Is your human wisdom killing your trust in God? In other words, are you so rational you've pushed God out of your decision-making process? Are you so rational, you've pushed God out of your decision-making process? And it's interesting, when I was young, you know, I probably was irrational. Everything was spiritual and full of faith. God will take care of it. It's all good. It'll all work out. You know, as you get older, you go, well, we should think about that. What are the consequences of that? What are the implications of that? Would that be a wise career move? Is that a wise financial move? Rather than the question that actually God lays for all of us is, what does obedience look like? What is the Lord calling you to? Whether you're five years old or fifty years old, what does obedience look like? How is He revealing Himself to you? Joseph and Mary took the step of obedience first of all to become parents, to get married, and now to flee to Egypt. In those micro decisions, and now even though Joseph, I believe, would not have known what what would happen next, he knew that there was danger. But now in verse 16, in hindsight, we find out what happened next. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And all that region who were two years old or under. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted. Because they, they are no more. So again we have this story. In the meta narrative As Matthew is looking back in history. And the spirit is speaking to Matthew. As he's writing this book. Matthew connects Hosea. Matthew con- connects Jeremiah. With the weeping of the children now. As he sees how God is weaving together history. Through the birth of Christ. And he can see it in hindsight. As he's writing this book. 40 or 50 years. After the events have taken place. In the micro you have Herod. This egotistical, arrogant, paranoid king, paranoid ruler. One commentator said that when Herod uh, became king, he actually killed all the members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, uh, 70 70 men that he killed. We know that later in life, he put to death his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, his wife, and three of his own children. All for fear that they might undermine his position somehow as king. Herod would go to great lengths to remove any threat. It is rumored that uh, Caesar Augustus said of Herod that you are better off being Herod's sow than being his son. It's safer for you to be Herod's pig than being his child. So I'm not sure if Caesar said it but that's the, the tradition that's been handed down. And so as you remember history happens in the micro, the macro and the meta levels. And so Herod's tyrannical, egotistical leadership is happening on this micro level. And I think it's easy for us to wonder, how can these things happen? How can God allow such a horrible thing to happen? But remember, the very first act of rebellion was to push God off the throne as humanity said, I want to be king. I want to rule. And ever since that time, humanity has been able to somehow rationalize the worst things happening. And really, friends, things that Herod did are not so different than what is happening in our world today. Because you can go to different parts of the world today where children are still being abused, still being murdered, where the very same kinds of things, maybe not quite so public or quite so audacious, but yet just as awful are happening as children are being made soldiers or they're being enslaved in a sex trade or, or as slaves in a manufacturing plant somewhere. In other words, humanity has not changed. And I think part of what God is doing here is showing us that we live in a broken world and God speaks into that brokenness with the reality of sending his son. And even his son was subject to threat from human kings with their own agendas, with their own desires. And so as Herod sends soldiers out to Bethlehem to kill the infants who are under two years of age, we're told it was likely somewhere between 30 and maybe at the most 50 infants Uh, Because of the size of the city, and the wailing is heard as as Matthew talks about by the mothers and fathers who have to deal with that broken world, with that incredible pain. And as we see people who reject God, who reject the king, who reject King Jesus, who reject the revelation of God, the presence of God, who invites us into relationship with Him for hope and healing. When that rejection happens, horrible things happen because we try and build our own kingdoms. And some will go to any length possible to maintain that kingdom. But let's bring this down to the micro level. To our world. Because God's revelation also wants to speak into the brokenness of our world. Very specifically. And even though we don't live in a world where we have a leader who is trying to kill us. A leader who is paranoid and wanting to to set up his own kingdom and eradicate anyone who's in the way. That is not our reality. But on a very very personal reality, we still struggle with wanting to be kings of our own lives. And so that means that for each one of us then, the birth of Christ as a king is a threat because we have to deal with his kingship in our lives. How does that show up in our lives? Very simple ways. When we say things like, I will choose whom I will marry, I won't give that to God. I will choose what I do with my money. I won't give that to God. I will choose what I do with my career. I will do it on my terms. I will choose how I raise my children. I will do that on my terms, not on God's terms. Friends, it's the same thing. We're saying I want to be on the throne of my life, and I'm going to push away anything where that where God comes in the way of that very tangible decision. I will determine my own morality. And it's like our theme song sung, made famous by Frank Sinatra and others is I Did It My Way. That was Herod's song. And we want to make it our own song. See, that's how this shows up in the micro parts of our lives. In rebellion. See, if you want the revelation of God, the presence of God, the leading of God, the grace and the peace of God, then you have to give up your own dynasties, your own kingdom, and let God be in that place of rulership in your own life. And make him your king. Not just a metaphorical king. Not just a king in the story. But king of your life. It's no wonder that there were so many who were threatened by the birth of Christ. And who still feel threatened by Christ. But God had a plan. And that plan was Jesus. And that plan was to bring hope and healing to all of humanity. And save people from the rebellion against God. And that plan is why this story of Jesus is so wonderful and so marvelous. It's the God's plan to make things right. It's a plan that's described in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, which say, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, through Jesus' blood shed on the cross, so that your sin can be forgiven, your shame can be taken away, and fear is conquered. And then the beauty is that that plan becomes complete in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. It says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The new has come and will be made complete at Jesus' return. We know how the story ends, friends. So when you're insecure in the micro reality of your life, in the midst of those decisions, we know how the story ends and the safe place, the better place to be is is to choose to be part of God's plan. Because God can always be trusted. But the choice is not simply to do the right thing. The choice is to trust the right person. It's to trust Jesus. We're not invited to a moralism. We're invited to a relationship with a God who wants to reveal himself to us. Repeatedly. He wants intimate relationship with you. Always. That's always the invitation. And we see God continuing to reveal himself in this story. In, Ma- in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, it says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, which was Herod's son, who was an unstable leader, uh." Then he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he, lit, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. That Jesus would be called a Nazarene. So two more dreams happen. Joseph has repeated revelation through dreams. But Joseph each time needs to choose to obey. And God continues to direct him. And Mary and baby Jesus, to the place that he would have. And each time now, Matthew can write about the story and look back and say, "This is how God directed." And in the grand story, he says, "Here's how the word of Hosea was fulfilled through Jesus. Here's how the word of Jeremiah was fulfilled. Here's how the claim that Jesus would be called the Nazarene, which Nathaniel does in the Gospels, is fulfilled. The greater grand story happening on the meta, the macro, and the micro level. And this story that we're given is not just the beautiful story of Jesus being born in a manger. The wonderful Christmas story that we think is so warm and fuzzy. Because the context is actually quite difficult, quite threatening, quite challenging. And we need to look into that context because that context speaks into our lives. Because the reality is in that context, choices are being made by people repeatedly to the revelation of God. And friends, I think that's what speaks into our hearts with the Christmas story and makes it real for us because God continues to speak into our hearts and reveal himself to us. And we continue to need to, need to make choices again and again and again. Some are simple. What are you having for dinner? What are you going to do now that the cafe is closed today? Some are dramatic. Will you move? Who will you marry? What will you do with your career? Will you respond to God calling you into relationship with himself? Or will you push him away? Will you deal with sin in your life? Will you ask forgiveness from your spouse or your friend who you've hurt profoundly? Will you work on your marriage? Will you trust God with your finances? Difficult, challenging choices. Does God still reveal himself to us today? Absolutely. He speaks to us through his Holy Spirit as Pastor James read for us from John chapter 14. His primary way he speaks is through his word, but he also speaks through dreams. He speaks through visions. He speaks through friends. He speaks through messages. He speaks through through music. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through our children. In fact, as a side note, when your children pray, chances are they will hear God more clearly in their prayers than you will as adults. Why? Because as adults, we tend to rationalize everything. Children will just give you what they're hearing. Listen carefully to your children, friends. They listen well. I have been profoundly impacted by seven, eight, ten-year-olds and hearing God speak through them. So what do you do in this season? The invitation is to put yourself in a position to be guided by God as you are making choices. Put yourself in a position to be guided by God as you're making choices. As 2018 wraps up, 2019 is coming. Perhaps you'll have resolutions. This morning I was praying for people saying, uh, man, I just want a greater sense of God. I want to walk with him more closely in this coming year. Put yourself in a position to hear the voice of God more clearly and to commit yourself to obedience to his leading more directly. So almost 31 years ago, I got married to Gwen. Now, can you imagine if on our wedding day, at the end of the, the, the ceremonies, all the things that we did, uh, the pictures are done, we've had the meal, we've had the program, all those things. And instead of going off on our honeymoon, I would have said to her, you know, honey, that was a great day. And I shake her hand. I'll say, you know what? Tell you what, I'll see you next weekend for brunch. <laughs> and then next weekend we get together. We have a great brunch. We have a great time. And, uh, and then I go back to my place. She goes back to hers. And we say, hey, you know what? We'll, let's do brunch again next weekend. Right? And we do that all year, but as Chris, then Christmas comes. We go, oh, Christmas is special, so we'll spend the whole day together. We'll have like a marriage reunion. And at Easter, we'll do the same thing, because those are special times. And you would say, well, that's a ridiculous way to have That's not a marriage. That's, you would never get to know each other. You wouldn't know what she thinks. She wouldn't know what you think. You can't parent that way, obviously. And yet so often, as I'm sure you've already figured out, that's where we go on our walk with God. We say, you know, I'm going to have brunch. I'm going to come to church. But then I'm not going to put myself in a position to hear from God for the rest of the week. But I'll come and grab brunch again the next week. I'll come and listen to the sermon or I'll I'll participate in something. And I don't know how many times over the last 30 years as a pastor, people have come to me and they'll say, Oh, pastor, I have this huge decision, right? I have a job choice I have to make or I'm going to decide if we're going to get married or not or got to break up. or Some huge decision is coming. And I need God to speak into my life and give me direction. Will you pray for me? Okay, so what are you doing so that you are putting yourself in a position for God to speak into your life regularly? Are you reading his word? Uh, No. Have you been praying about this? No. Have you had other people to pray about this? No. Okay, so let me get this right. You want God to come and interrupt your life and bang you over the head with the answer to your question, even though you've done nothing to get to know him or to be familiar with his voice or his word. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, I'll pray for you. And you know what? Sometimes God is gracious and he does that. I mean, he interrupted my life profoundly. I wasn't looking for him and he was incredibly gracious. But most of the time, to be led by God, we need to put ourselves in the place, in a position for God to reveal himself to us. And we understand his voice. We listen to that nuance, just like, our, just like my spouse. I know her voice immediately on the phone. She knows how I'm doing. When I say one or two words, she can tell. I just say, Hi what's wrong? (laughs) I didn't say anything. I know, but I can tell. How can you tell? Your voice sounds hollow. What does that mean? (laughs) She just knows. Right? It's because you know each other. It's just a look. It's a sense. It's a feel because you know each other. God is relational and he's given us human relationships to reflect that reality. Time and shared experiences are how, how we understand who God is and how he speaks into our lives. That's why we invite you into small groups. That's why we invite you into community that's so much more than just coming to worship and looking at the back of someone's head. God wants to meet you face-to-face and face-to-face with his people. We've done a very simple thing this year uh, for, for Willingdon. It's a simple thing called a Bible reading journal. They're available out at different stands in the lobby, and this will take if you, if you pick this up, this will guide you through the Bible in two years. It's only reading about two chapters a day. And in there is a simple uh, exercise uh, by, listed by the acronym SOAP, which shows you how to read Scripture, let the Spirit highlight Scripture for you, make an observation, apply it to your life, and pray and ask God, How will I be different today because of what I just read? which is the obedience question. Friends, if you want God to speak into your life, this is the greatest thing you can do is spend time with him day after day and you will understand his voice so more clearly and you will understand the whisper of his leading and the forks in the road he invites you to to obey him and to walk with him and to be guided by him. The second critical piece is to be repeatedly obedient to God's leading. We see in Joseph's story that Joseph continued to say yes. Again, and again, and again. And when we are consistently obedient uh, to God in the little things, then it will be much more natural to respond to him in obedience with the big things. It's very difficult to jump from nothing to a huge decision to say yes. That's challenging for us as people. We understand that because as parents, that's what we do. We begin by giving our child responsibilities and small things before it goes to big things. Often they want to jump ahead, especially when they become teenagers. One of my sons one time, uh, he was pushing back on something. Probably I wanted him to clean up his room most likely or something basic like that or some chore. And I think God gave me this insight. I said, if you don't do that chore, why would I ever give you the car to drive? And he looked at me and goes, what's this got to do with the car? I go, well, if you can't take care of your room, why would I give you something that costs way more money that needs care to be responsible for? He was quiet for a minute. He said, I'm going to go clean my room now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought. (laughs) Suddenly the penny dropped, right? He connected the dots. When we're faithful and we're obedient in little things, we grow in our trust of God. We grow in our strength, in our certainty of what we are hearing. And then as things come up, as bigger decisions come in how we parent and how we make career decisions, relational decisions, what we do with our finances. We go, you know what? I trust God. I know he's got this. I know where history is going because I know the big picture story. And even though I can't see it around the next corner, I've been spending time with God I trust him. He's been faithful in history and I believe he will be faithful with me regardless of how difficult the circumstances are that I am living in today in my micro little world. The other thing you do, friends, particularly at the end of the year, look back and say, how has God blessed me this past year? Because we often forget. How has God guided me this past year? Because we so often forget. Because the thing we need to remember, the third thing is that God is with you. He is always with you. That is his promise. In the book of Matthew, chapter 28, as Jesus is sending out the disciples to to all parts of the world to say, to go everywhere and, and everywhere you go, teach them everything that I taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And remember, you're not just going in my authority, but I am with you always. That's his promise to us. I am with you always. In Philippians, he tells us, Cast your burdens on me. He's continually saying, I am there. Trust me. Give your troubles to me. Trust me. Walk with me. And if you walk in increasing obedience to me, I will influence, influence you. I will guide you through your decisions. You are not alone. And as you open up God's word, as you walk in community, perhaps join a discipleship group. And if you're not sure what one is, there's brochures in the hallway that can tell you what that is and how to start that so God can speak into your life because he wants to speak into your life. And friends, over the years, I mean, God intervened like I told you. He's given me, at one point, gave me a vision. He's given me dreams. But most of the time, he speaks through the daily, spending time in his word as the spirit opens up his word and applies it to my life. That's the vast majority of time. Every now and then, there's a sensational interruption. And of course, those are the stories we tell. Because they're sensational. But the majority of time, I open up his word like I did this morning. And I was reading in Ezra and in the book of Acts and seeing how God led and saying, God, how do you want to change me today because of what I've just read? What do you want to apply to my life today? Where are you asking me to be obedient today? And then I write it down and I pray it out. Say, okay, God, help me to live that out today. And that's what he wants to do to you. He wants you to speak into your life. And I had an experience about 15, 20 years ago that showed me just how, how, God, how serious God is about wanting to speak into my life and communicate with me. So I went for breakfast with my prayer partner. His name's Terry, lives in Cochrane, Alberta. And we've been prayer partners since the early 1990s. And back in the season of my life, I wasn't spending regular time with God. I was thinking I was too busy, didn't have time for it. And, uh, but I met as uh, regularly did with Terry for breakfast. And as I'm meeting with Terry for breakfast, Terry said, you know, I was praying for you, Willie. And as I was praying, God gave me a question to ask you. Well, two things happen when someone says that. One, you're curious, and the other one, you're nervous. It's like, uh uh-oh, what's coming? He said, the question the Lord asked me to ask you was, how long do I have to wait to meet with you? Now, on one hand, you could say, oh, that's convicting, because it's sort of pulling out my bad habits in front of my friend. It did the exact opposite thing for me. I'll tell you why. I was so humbled because I went, okay, God cares about me enough, wants to meet with me badly enough that my friend who is praying, God's saying, well, Willie's not spending time with me, so I'm going to go to his friend who is, and I'm going to speak to Willie through his friend and invite Willie to come and spend time with me. I was overwhelmed by God's love and care in that question. I thought, wow, God really cares. And that means spending time with him is not an obligation I'm not just trying to do the right thing or trying to, to check off a box somewhere. My father, my creator, the one who rules history, the one who brought this whole plan into being, who sent his son to die, talked to my friend Terry and said, tell Willie I want to spend time with him and ask him when he'll do that. It creates emotion in me today, all these years later, just thinking about the lengths that God went to. And friends, that's what he says to you. How long till I get to spend time with you? I want to speak into your heart. I don't care if you're five or 50 or 100. I want to spend time with you. I want to reveal myself to you. That's why I sent my spirit, the guide, the counselor, the teacher. I'm the one who draws you. I'm the one who wants to be in relationship with you. I'm the one who is inviting you into obedience for your benefit so you can understand how much I love you. And I will walk with you through the difficult decisions you're in, and the easy ones. And I will grow your faith. And you will look back on your life, and you will see my hand on your life. And you will walk further further and forward in strength because you know how the story ends. One day when I send my son back, and all of history will be complete, and all your questions will be answered, and there will be no more fear, no more crying, and no more pain. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the glory of God will be revealed in all of its fullness. So the invitation, friends, is to step in for 2019 to make those choices under the guidance and the presence of the Spirit. The greatest choice you can make is to to walk into relationship with God the Father. If you've never done that, I'll give you an opportunity to do that in a moment. But then as we do that, it's to continue to walk with Him, to continue to be led by Him, to continue to trust Him, to keep him on the throne of our lives rather than trying to put ourselves in, the, in that place. Perhaps, to put it this way, a prayer you might want to think about or a concept to think about. When you have a decision to make, and you say, I'm not quite sure how to do this. I'm not quite sure what the decision is. Uh, Kerry Newhoff, the pastor, put it this way. He says, God, when you're making decisions, I am doing this or not doing this, the decision, yes or no, because I trust you. If it's wrong, I trust you will show me. If it's right, I trust you will show me. I'm trusting you for the outcome. And whatever you show me, I will do. Not I'll do it once you show me. But God, my predisposition is obedience. That is my heart's desire. So reveal yourself to me. And I trust you to walk forward. Let's stand for closing prayer. if you've never made the decision to give your life to Christ, to invite him to sit on the throne of your life, I'm gonna pray a simple prayer and you can pray this with me and then I will pray uh, for, for the rest of us. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to know you. Please forgive me for leading my own life separate from you. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin. I repent and surrender my whole life to you I turn to you for forgiveness and new life. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free. Make me the kind of person you created me to be. I want to be like you. Father, thank you for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And friends, if you are in a place, as Christ followers say, you know what? I want to go with greater intimacy with Christ. I want to walk in greater obedience I'm just going to invite you to make a very simple gesture and just do this as this, this, this is genuinely something you're feeling in your heart. Uh, just open up your hands and, uh, as a gesture of receiving and let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you desire to reveal yourself to us and thank you that at points in history you have interrupted our lives like you did mine and it changed the trajectory of my life. I know that you draw us and you call us because you desire that every one of us would be in relationship with you and we know from your word that you desire to reveal yourself to us repeatedly whether it's through your spirit through your word the bible or whether it's through your spirit through dreams or visions or prophetic words or other sensational ways but you go to great lengths and thank you that you are waiting to speak to us that you're calling us by name that you know us by name and as we end this year and go into the next one That your great hope for us is that we will step into greater obedience because we know you more, we recognize your voice, and you want to be real in the micro realities of our lives so that we can look back and see you in the macro and we get get to understand how we fit into the meta-narrative of the grand story of history. So Father, I pray this morning for people who have decisions to make who are afraid. I pray they will trust you. I pray for people, Father, who don't want to give something to you because they want to control it. Father, I pray that they will repent of that and give it to you Then know it's in a a better place in your hands. Father, for people who believe that you won't speak to them if they open your word, Father, I pray against that lie and I pray that they will open up your word and invite your spirit to speak to them through your word and this will be the year where they know you more, follow you more dearly and have greater confidence in reality of who you are. Thank you, Father, for how you've blessed us in 2018 and I so look forward for what you will do in the coming year. Pour your spirit on on us. And Father, I pray you would bless our world through us as, as your Christ followers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.